in the practice of hunting, there's this incredible attunement to the oscillation between masculine and feminine that occurs in nearly every moment. My work is to elevate both of them and to not kink the flow of either my masculine or my feminine, including my dark masculine. Yeah. Because yeah. we are engaged yeah. with hunting and I am leaning as a leader of this on a certain edge of a certain archetype of a deep primal part of parts of myself that most of society would not welcome. I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugwin McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safris, et c'est le podcast du Gidecolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. I was invited on a sacred hunt by a number of friends of mine. The experience was introduced to me by Kyle Kingsbury, who has also interviewed my guest today, Monsal Denton. It was actually, it's funny, Kyle had invited me on a hunt with him and he said, dude, let's go. Let's do this. You're like ready for this. Let's go. And the next day, my friend Jason Picard, who's been interviewed on a variety of podcasts, including Paul Check's podcast and highly optimized with my buddy, Ryan Sprague. I mean, he's, he's been on the circuit. Jason's story is incredible. But Jason said, hey, I'm putting the, together this hunt with a bunch of my guy friends and I want you to come. So I cleared my schedule and I was on a plane to Austin where I met up with Jason and let's see, six other guys and then Monsal and his two guides. And we went on a hunt for three days. And the hunting experience is as much about connecting with the land and the animal that you're hoping to kill as it is about holding a rifle and learning how to shoot. But Monsal makes the trip special. You start the entire experience with writing a love letter to the animal that you're going to kill. There is so much ceremony, such a sacred experience. And partway through the hunting experience, which is out on old Comanche territory, east of Austin, you do a medicine journey. I was fortunate enough to be able to provide my own medicine for this weekend. And um, these guys were broken open, torn open by this experience. My friend Mike Salemi was on the trip. And it was just an incredible weekend. Interestingly, we did not kill any deer or anything for that matter. And I was the only one that got a shot off. But since I hadn't been practicing with a rifle, I was lent a rifle for the trip. I missed. I missed three times. And the medicine for me from the experience was to practice with my rifle as a means of honoring this animal. So throughout the weekend, Monsal and I got to be friends, and he even asked me if I would provide him with medicine for his ceremonies going forward. He made me his unofficial, official medical director, <laughs> let's just say. We got to be good friends. So when I was next in Austin, he um, cooked me up a plate of bear meat, very, very few ingredients, delicious, delicious breakfast. And we sat down and recorded this podcast. Uh, Monsal, I love you, brother. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. 
And just like every episode, before we get into the meat of this really beautiful conversation, where we get into the divine masculine, divine feminine, the sacred principles of Mansell's approach to sacred hunting, which is his term, it's his program. He's written a great book about this too, by the way. This conversation is wide-ranging. We get into the responsibility of a hunter, connecting to nature, connecting to the feminine, and connecting to ourselves through this experience. But I have to tell you a little bit about the sponsors. They make this show possible, guys. And if anything that you hear touches you in any way, I want you to share this episode. Leave a five-star review if you haven't yet. It really, really matters. And support the sponsors. So the first sponsor of this episode is BirthFit. BirthFit was started by my friend Lindsay, who is a powerhouse, an incredible woman. She put together this program, which is the Comprehensive Prenatal Training Program. But What's special about BirthFit is they customize your training and your lifestyle programming to pregnancy and postpartum. So you're going to get nervous system supported general strength and conditioning. They do human movement foundations. You're going to learn all about your core and pelvic floor. It's really, truly comprehensive. And if you're not looking for a specialized training program, you can also join their B community, which is a community of women made by women for women where fitness education and connection meet. If you want to try out their B community for one month free, Go to birthfit.com, use code BELOVED, and you'll get your access. It's a special offer for uh, listeners of the show. This episode is also brought to you by Fullwell. I talk all about Fullwell's prenatal vitamins. They're hands down the best on the market. They're the only ones that I recommend to my clients as an insurance policy to an already really healthy lifestyle. But they also have a men's virility vitamin. They have their Nourish Nerves Tonic, and they have their fish oil, all four of which actually are included in my PRP fertility program which you'll be hearing about a little bit later. Their men's virility vitamin is great because you know what I tell my men is get your cell phones out of your pockets, lose the tight-fitting shorts, stop doing long, very, very hot, frequent sauna sessions, and dial in your nutrition. That includes eating bivalve shellfish like oysters and mussels. But again, as an insurance policy, their men's virility vitamin at full well is sort of a must-have if you guys are on your fertility journey. If you want to try out any of Fullwell's products, go to Fullwell Fertility. Use code BELOVED10. Can't recommend these guys enough. Just an incredible program. And if you haven't heard my interview with Ayla Barmer, the founder of Fullwell, episode 105 features the lovely Ayla. Organifi is also supporting this episode. Thank you so much, Organifi. Organifi has a wide range of products. They have this incredible green juice, which is loaded with phytonutrients. It's loaded with so many vitamins and minerals that I start every single day off with this. I do my little morning exercise routine. I do my meditation. I um, will then start with a big tall glass of their green juice. It's one scoop. It's incredible. It includes some prebiotic powders and whatnot. Really, really helps you digest what you're consuming. It supports your gut microbiome and you're getting a load of nutrition first thing in the day. Take it with a tall glass of water. You're not going to feel any better than you will with this green juice in the morning. I do all of this, by the way, before my morning coffee. So I want to get my body nourished and hydrated before that. All of Organifi's products are non-GMO. They're all USDA organic. They're all glyphosate-free. Drew Canole and his team have put together an incredible lineup. So if you want to try them out, go to Organifi.com slash Beloved or use code Beloved and you'll save 20%. While you're there, pick up some red juice, pick up some other gold latte. And if you're a woman and you're listening, their Cacao Harmony Blend is amazing. Tastes delicious. And last but not least, uh, oh no, we've got two more sponsors here. Bioptimizers is also supporting this episode. Bioptimizers has put together a comprehensive lineup 
of the cleanest supplements in the business. My wife and I, once in a while, will have a cheat meal, you know, like we'll go to Chipotle and get a big fat burrito and just like gobble it down. And if I don't take Bioptimizer's mass zymes and their HCL breakthrough, I will get a little bloated, a little indigestion, a little gassy the next day. So I'll take two capsules, two to three capsules of their mass zymes, two capsules of their HCL breakthrough, adding a little bit of acid to your stomach when you take in big meals like this will help digest the food. And when food digests well, you can absorb the nutrients from it. So Bioptimizers is a necessary part of my healthy lifestyle. They've got a wide range of supplements, though. Their Magnesium Breakthrough, their P3OM, which is an incredible probiotic, their Sleep Breakthrough. They've got tons of great options. Blood Sugar Breakthrough is another really, really good one. If you want to try out Bioptimizers, go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN or use code BELOVED and you save 10% on your purchase. And then last but not least is, man, two of my favorite people, Chase Ramey and Mimi Lindquist, have put together a product that has been clinically demonstrated to help clear persistent HPV. It's called Immune Intel AHCC. There's plenty of research to back this product up. It's made from the mycelia of shiitake mushrooms. And AHCC, by the way, stands for active hexose correlated compound. We've done an interview. You can check that out on the show. The way that Immune Intel works is it boosts the amount of your surveillance immune cells, your NK cells, your T cells by up to 300%. And then it also improves the interconnectivity between those cells. So your immune system is dialed in. And as you probably know, viral infections, cancer, autoimmune conditions are all due to a dysregulation of your immune system. So a product like this gets your immune system dialed back in while we're fixing your gut, while we're improving your lifestyle in other ways. And you're going to see a total decrease in systemic inflammation. You're going to have better regulation of your stress hormones because your body's not in a state of inflammation at all times. I love this product. I'm so glad that they're here as a sponsor. If you want to try them out, go to themedicine.com slash products. That's the medicine without the E at the end. So T-H-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N. And you'll find Immune Intel HCC there. Use code BELOVED10 and you'll save 10%. Thank you to all the sponsors for sponsoring the show. All right, without further ado, my man, Monsal Denton, we go deep in this one. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm surprised you still have hearing after all the listening to so much tool, Monsal. Hmm. And I listen to it on full blast too. Sometimes I walk by with my headphones and people look at me and I'm like, they can I'm connecting with God. <laughs> Just don't judge me. That's an interesting part of the tool experience because I don't think people understand. So if you're not aware, tool is one of the three bands that is largely led, so to speak, by Maynard James Keenan. He lives in the Arizona area. So getting him on a hunt would be really, really fun for sure. And the thoughtfulness that goes into his lyrics and the life experience without and within makes it a pretty unique experience as a listener. Is there a favorite song you have? I am particularly drawn by their latest album right now, which is surprising to many people. Because, Fear Inoculum. Yeah, because many yeah. people consider artists to kind of have their peak and then decline. But, you know, they're in their early 60s and they just released this album two years ago. And it blew the roof off. I mean, the songs are still 10 to 15 minutes long. They're incredibly complex. And Four different drum kits, Stanley yeah. Carey. Yeah, it's insanely complicated music. And I think that speaks to the wisdom that comes through in their music and the intention that goes into their music because 
wisdom ages well. Yeah, and a kind of angsty, pleasure-oriented musician might peak early. You know, and so I've really enjoyed this latest album and seeing the full range of expression. You know, they have a song "Tempest" as a storm, a chaos that comes and alters one's life and there's a desire when this chaos comes in life to fight it and to not sit with it and you know the song tempest it just so reiterates so that your subconscious our subconscious can fully understand it a tempest must be just that a tempest must be just that you cannot fight it just be in it what an allegory for the feminine as well yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I'm in right now a pretty deep two-year study I told you about with Tool and just owning and accepting it. And I think that's probably 90 to 95% of the music sure. I listen to. And sure. the playlist in my phone is called Beloved because it's like Beloved, I connect with the divine. name. Oh, really? Beloved Holistics. Wow. Yeah. I call my sacrament my Beloved. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> the origin of that for me is God in the English sense, comes from the German root, Gott, and that is very much tied with reflection of father, and there's like a paternal component to the term God, and my spiritual teacher, Will Tegel, helped me see that beloved is more of the feminine connection, more of the yeah, it's less constrained by these, I hate to use the word patriarchal, but somewhat patriarchal oriented terminology. A, yeah. I think it has a role there. Yeah. 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 It's one of my favorite bands, as I told you, if not my favorite. When I was at Burning Man in 2019, my wife was pregnant and it was one of the years we went. And actually it was the last year that we successfully went because we tried going in with our little girls this year and it was a total disaster. But that was the last year before COVID happened. And they released their album six months before the pandemic opened up. And sure enough, I mean, it's like uncanny synchronicity, fear inoculum. And then bam, in February or March of 2020, we had this whole thing happen. And so when I was at Burning Man, they released their album by parachute. They dropped it into Burning Man and somebody like was there. I think Alex Gray and in one of the big art cars, they received it and then they blasted it on a like 70,000 watt sound system out in the desert. And Alex Gray was like head banging and... <laughs> But nobody had heard it. We were like, this sounds like Tool. Like, what is this? And it was their new album that they had just released and literally dropped. It just dropped into Burning Man. So fast forward and there we were, stuck in a state of fear. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I love the cross artistic communication about their work too. You know, Alex Gray is like this visionary psychedelic artist. Right. And... You know, there's people who can be on, you know, they use the phrase, like, we're on the same wavelength. Right. And it's like they just get one another yeah. somehow from totally different generations, different backgrounds. Right. And the same is true for me. I'm half their age, but it all resonates at such a you deep level. You just get it. Yeah. 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 How old are you, Monsel? I'm 31. I'll turn 32 in 10 days. Oh, right on. Happy birthday. Ahead of time. I'm going to be the first. I'm calling it out right now. Monsel, you and I met through something called the Sacred Hunt, which is a beautiful sort of synthesis of so many things you've encountered and experienced and had to work through in your life. Before we get too in the weeds, because you and I have this kind of kinship where I feel like we could just spin off in any direction, 
what is the sacred hunt? You were just on, you just took me and a group of guys led by, uh, very generously by a group of, uh, by a, an, an individual named Jason Picard, who's a good friend of mine too. Tell me, what did we do on that hunt? Yeah. Well, basically, sacred hunting is, it's a culmination of everything that is in my world and in my pain body and in my like joy and excitement. I think there's so many threads that are common to the human experience and what we at a deep primal level desire. And ultimately, I create a world right. for people to enter. And that world includes tool. I mean, somehow in a sacred hunting experience, we had a conversation about tool and art and things like that. But for me, I desire to facilitate transformation for primarily men in the way that we connect to ourselves, to nature, to our sense of masculinity, yeah. to our relationship with the feminine, whether that be through nature, etc. And really that comes through using psychedelics, using indigenous rites and rituals, and using hunting yeah as yeah. as a basis and these have been the practices that have of all the things that i have tried they have meant the most to me and i'm really in answering this really identifying how much like ownership of you know this is my interpretation of what's meaningful and things like that and other people find yoga and other practices to be meaningful so yeah it's really a synthesis of all these things for me and of course it's been successful in the traditional sense because it is so, so basic. It almost touches on the most basic elements of human nature because we're doing it in a group. We're feeling connected. I take up people's phones. And so there's this intimate connection with each other, with our tribe, with the land that we're engaging with and trying to facilitate eating food that we participate in ourselves, having ceremony, reflection, perspective on our lives. And so, yeah, it's a great gift. And I appreciate that question because it's got me excited already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to going on more hunts with you. There was a very special part, an opportunity for me to also contribute to this beautiful vision you have by providing some sacrament of my own for a medicine journey midway at the midway point, roughly. What does the role of a medicinal ceremony, and people can take from that what they will, but I think they know, what is the role of that? Because that was actually, I think, a turning point. There was a pivot when we did that. And of course, I provided my own medicine, which I put a lot of intention and love and respect and honor, you know, the word that encompasses all of that is reverence, into the process of inviting these little babies in. And then if they can provide some healing or medicine. I always love to gift them. So what is the role of that experience and what was your experience that weekend with us? Yeah. The role for me has always been to utilize that tool to connect us to specifically what it means to take the life of an animal. And whether or not we actually do take a life of an animal or not is kind of irrelevant. Everyone there knows that that's a possibility and they're saying yes. They're there because they're saying yes to the possibility of taking the life of an animal. And by the same token, our civilization has completely desensitized us to 
what that actually means. Right, right. Desensitized us to our own emotions. There's a lot of people I know who do a lot of self-work and all these kinds of things. I don't think anyone, myself included, has the capacity to feel emotions as we would have in our ancestral past. There's all kinds of little traumas. You can have the best parent ever and our society inflicts a certain trauma like don't cry, my son, toughen up, all these kinds of stories that are just pervasive through society. And so for me personally, I had to have the plant medicines that put me into my body and had me feel at such a deep level to the point where I'm sobbing about killing this animal. I had to have that in order to feel the tension, this incredible tension, which is perhaps for me one of the most beautiful tensions that exists in the world, is this absolute love and devotion and reverence to these animals and this need to kill them, to consume them. And that tension is, yeah, it's really easy to, as protection, to let go of the love reverence part and just I'm going to rationalize that I am going to eat this, I eat meat, I'm going to kill this animal in order to eat meat. And we lose so much when we don't also hold the tension of love and reverence. And that's what the plant medicine does for me. So what's beautiful about you, Mansell, I mean, you're also a very dashingly handsome gentleman, but you know, you wrote this book, we'll show it on camera here, Sacred Hunting. And I just was riffing on this and giving you some compliments about how intentional and deliberate you were with your words. Like you only need so many words to say the thing. Use just the right amount of words. And the way that you speak about this is exactly the experience that I had. You know, I eat meat. Why can't I feel comfortable killing an animal? But what I was lacking was a respect and reverence for the process, you know, that connection. So if anybody wants to know the, the short end of the hunt, we didn't see many animals I certainly did. And I had three shots at the same deer about 110 yards away, and I missed all three shots over her back. And the medicine for me, though, was that at the moment, instead of being afraid to pull the trigger and kill the animal that was going to feed us, and by the way, she had walked out and offered herself up. And this had come to me in the ceremony. It has come to me for years in the ways you know that I described to you, I was actually afraid. Am I not going to be able to do this? So using the medicine, I actually asked, what is the purpose of the heart as an intention going into the medicine? And the three things that came to me were patience, reverence, and presence. And it was a very hard journey for me. And one message that was coming through loud and clear from Gaia herself was, respect me, motherfucker. So where did I go astray? I have this deep reverence for the woods, but something, because I hadn't been in an experience like this, connecting to the land, off my cell phone and whatnot, I'd lost that reverence. You know, you take it for granted. The medicine for me was that while I was looking at the deer in my scopes, even though I missed, in my head I said, I love you and I'm going to kill you. And that conflict of the heart between falling in love with something and simultaneously wanting to kill it. And she's offering herself. Like this is way beyond just ethics around animal husbandry and whatnot. Mother nature gets it. We are the ones that are missing it. And when we're okay with eating meat and watching cows just get abused their whole lives for their very short lives to be fattened up as quickly as possible, loaded with pharmaceuticals and all this other stuff, only to be slaughtered in a very inhumane way, feeling comfortable with that, but not feeling comfortable with the idea that you're going to pull the trigger, that's the tension, you know, that I think that these ritualized 
ways of going about eating are so helpful. I wanted to read something from your book real quick because very relevant. You wrote here, attunement to the landscape we lived in used to be a birthright necessary for our species survival. And that landscape made its way into our myths, traditions, and ceremonies. The alienation from the environment we now feel is like the lack of clarity about our inner emotional landscapes. You reflect on that a little bit, maybe over the course of your life? Yeah, I just see it as a metaphor. The land that we inhabited, you know, the term indigenous literally broken down into its root etymology means of a place. And so there is this relationship where land creates the people and the people are a part of the land. You know, they're just so intertwined. It's like we look out at nature and we see a species of deer and the way that they interact with the landscape and they're just part of the landscape. And the human animal was part of the landscape. And that from such a young age comes with this just embeddedness and comfort and intimacy with the place. And as a side tangent, one can imagine at a deeper and more empathetic level what happens to an indigenous culture when their way of life is eradicated. I mean, yeah, it's obliterated. The same is true that that's the outer landscape, but our inner landscape has changed so much too. We're in nuclear families, we're outside of community, we're isolated, we're pushed into certain pathways that civilization desires for us, whether it be schooling or... Progress or bust kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And all of these things, they have beauty. I don't ever desire to shun the technology that we've created, but unfortunately the consciousness that we have to date brought to many of these technologies has blunted and removed the clarity that our ancestors had about their inner feelings and the way in which they could show up. And ironically, we have very sophisticated psychology and language, and we can identify all these, you know, Freud, Jung concepts and things like that, which our indigenous ancestors assuredly could not speak to. But what good are all these words if we can't feel fully in the moment as it happens, the same way that our ancestors did. And that was a big part of my own journey, was realizing that there were hidden feelings and emotions that were guiding my actions, and especially the actions that were considered to be, well, considered to be immoral and put me in a position where I spent time in prison and I was arrested and I had, you know, a whole rite of passage that involved sure. <laughs> prison. Yeah. But it gave me, you know, an opportunity to see the the lack of connection to my own emotions. And it also gave me the opportunity to see specifically as it pertains to food. This might make it easier as an example to see, but it required me deciding that I was going to take responsibility for the food that I was eating to actually feel the impact of what that means. Because we live in a world where it literally makes sense to manipulate the truth for purposes of consumption and capitalism and things like that. As an example, the chickens at Chick-fil-A are horribly mistreated, but their branding depicts this happy chicken. Right. 
And it completely separates us from feeling the truth of what it means for that animal to have lived that kind of a life and then to have died in order to provide us with sustenance. And so that is just an example that sacred hunting speaks to specifically. But there's a myriad number of examples of how we have lost touch with some level of connection to inner truth. Yeah. Just letting that sink in. One thing that kept coming up for me as I was thinking about how I wanted to talk to you in this interview was this idea of radical responsibility. I think very, very much one problem perhaps in our society is that we've been so conditioned to outsource our power to something else that we rely on quite a bit of figureheads, policymakers and politicians, religious leaders, our priests, you know, our the doctors, you know, everybody's running to these individuals for the answer to how to live their life. But when you're out there with a rifle and you know you've got to take this animal down, and maybe in, in our postmodern society, maybe I don't have to. I could go to Whole Foods and get meat. However, in losing this ritual around taking responsibility for how much we're consuming, for what we're consuming, I think it has led us into this overly consumeristic sort of notion of the world where it's like, as long as you have money, you're taken care of. Well, what if you didn't have a Whole Foods? Then what would you do for food? Call Kyle Kingsbury in one of his four freezers full of food or something like that. But the point being that this is not just a matter of getting skills. This is a matter of connecting to a world, a landscape in which we don't seem to have much connection. In fact, we like to silo ourselves off and not even ever be in the woods. And when we're out on the hunt, no cell phones, there's thorny things. I mean, it's an uncomfortable, pretty inhospitable environment, that Comanche territory that we were hunting on. So when you hear the term radical responsibility, which I apply to the process of, hey, if you're going to be pregnant, like you now have to be responsible for every possible thing that goes in. That's not to say that there's a right or wrong way, but you need to own the decisions that you make. And if you have a home birth or a free birth and something happens, then that's also something that you own. If you go to the hospital and something happens there, you have decided to go to the hospital willing to accept the consequences. And again, there's no right way to do this. So this radical responsibility piece is really, it's really fresh for me. When you hear the term radical responsibility, you could take this in any direction. What comes up for you? How does your hunt help to inspire radical responsibility? It's a great question. What comes up for me when I think of radical responsibility is the pervasiveness of that concept in all of life. Yeah. Like Miyamoto Musashi has this concept, like once you see the way, once you know the way, you see it in all things. And I do believe hunting is a gateway for radical responsibility because it's so clear that something has to die in order for us to survive, and right. yet we're disconnected from it. So there's an invitation there yeah. for radical responsibility. But there's an invitation for every single moment of every single part of our day that you or I might be, or the audience might have. You know, There's an opportunity to take responsibility throughout. And I remember experiences in prison where radical responsibility in that moment meant accepting where I was and making the best of that situation. Hmm. When I hear radical responsibility, I think, yes, specific 
areas lend themselves, as you suggested, birth, death, they lend themselves to taking radical responsibility. But it is a practice for everything in life as far as I'm concerned. And so it becomes a portal or a gateway to, most importantly, practice. There's a really great entrepreneur who he runs a company called 37 Signals, Jason Freed, and he talks about how he works with so many people who have companies and they believe that once they sell the company, they will be able to spend more time with their kids. They're going to spend more time doing the things that they love and all these kinds of things. And he says, everything is a practice. If you are a, you know working, 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 you're not in the practice of honoring your family, honoring yourself, honoring all these things. Everything is practice. And so if you want radical responsibility, it's a practice. And one way that I pervade my life with that practice is the food that I eat because I have to do it every day. So tell me about some of your principles. You're pretty strict with what you put into your body. Yeah. More so than probably anybody I know. So maybe briefly just lay that in there if you can. Yeah. When I'm at home here, when I'm cooking, I do not eat any meat in my house that I did not kill myself or at least have a very close relationship with it. You know, my friend killed it or something in front of yeah, me. Yeah. And then at least for the last few months, I've only consumed vegetables and things like that from the farmer's market where I can speak to the person who grew it, understand the conditions and have a face to the product and things like that. What that does for me is it provides a completely different experience of living. And of course, like I said, it has its beauty in some ways because of the practical nature of it. We have to eat every single day. And so it becomes that daily pervasive practice for me to be intentional. And so, you know, I had a date a couple nights ago where we literally had food that was four ingredients total. Wow. That includes water. <laughs> but every single component I could speak to with a level of depth. Like this is bear fat from an animal that I killed and spent a week and a half rendering it. This is an animal that I killed like a deer that offered itself because it was going to die and it was sick. This is spring water that my friend collects from Alabama. That's amazing. Wow. And so at face value, it looks incredibly simple but there's far more depth with it. Yeah. And the woman, she asked, you know, do you say any kind of prayer or anything like that? And I said, I would love for you to share a prayer. And like my prayer is the whole process that put this food right. on a plate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When my wife and I got pregnant with our first Penelope Luce, we didn't get pregnant right away. It took us several months dialing in lifestyle, dialing in sleep, um, tracking fertility awareness like cervical mucus, etc. And then suddenly when we had the figures right, bam, she revealed it to me and I was so ecstatic. It was exaltation. What a burden off my shoulders. We got pregnant. And it was that moment where I really became dedicated to trying to help couples achieve that same experience of exaltation. The problem was that my training as an OBGYN left me with synthetic hormones, a lot of imaging and other procedures without really the toolkit to look upstream for the reasons for which these fertility challenges are presenting in the first place. 
So from my time in residency, I've explored a lot of other modalities, and I've come up with a really, really clever strategy, which starts with a bunch of functional medicine testing, liver detox, working with the second chakra, working in through the yin as opposed to this excess yang that we've all been incentivized to utilize. I've read a number of books and done quite a bit of studying in other areas. And what it has led me to is this special offering that is exclusive to Beloved Holistics. And it's a truly holistic approach to fertility. It's my Patience, Reverence, and Presence Fertility Program. That's PRP. And it starts exactly as I described. But you don't just meet with me. You meet with a breath worker. You meet with an NLP embodiment coach. You meet with a metaphysical counselor and check practitioner. You meet with a functional nutritionist and licensed acupuncturist. You meet with a Chinese medicine and German new medicine practitioner. You're going to meet with a psychic medium. You're going to go through art therapy, qigong, tai chi. You're going to learn some foundational movement patterns. You're going to become more flexible. You're going to become stronger. You're going to become detoxified. You're going to become well-nourished. We're going to go through diet, movement, sleep, breath, mindset, hydration. We're going to dial all of that in. And with the purchase of your PRP program, not only do you get all these books and supplements and vitamins and the detox and the Dutch testing and all of this, a meeting with other practitioners, you also get access to my new natural fertility course. It's an online self-guided course at the Czech Institute. And you're going to get a vaginal steaming consultation with vaginal steaming herbs. This is really, really the whole package that will help you either conceive naturally, or if you do end up going the route of IVF, we're going to get you as healthy as possible so that that twelve dollars to $15,000 investment is worthwhile and you get a baby out of the deal. Otherwise, you may find yourself going back for a second or a third round, or if you do get pregnant with IVF, we know that that's an independent risk factor for a lot of pregnancy complications unless you dial in your health and we look upstream to figure out what was the cause of these fertility challenges in the first place. So if you want to find out more information about the PRP Fertility Program at Beloved Holistics, go to belovedholistics.com slash PRP. You'll find a wealth of information there. If you have any doubts or need more information, need answers for your questions, you can always book a free discovery call also on the website. All right, let's get back to this incredible conversation. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. There's a really important reason. So one of our buddies, Mike Salemi, was on the hunt, and he's about to have his little boy, Luca, and he had some pretty important breakthroughs through the experience of hunting as a uh, sort of initiation into, I think there's an element of connecting to the feminine. I think there's an element of surrender on the hunt. I think there's an element of this rite of passage. And of course, this has helped not only with being in nature, immersed in nature, not on your phone, but also with some of the medicine we were doing. And I think there was also a humbling, a humility that comes with us because we didn't get shit. We didn't kill anything. And you go out to hunt to kill, but that maybe wasn't the medicine we needed, you know? And Mike had some really interesting breakthroughs that I'll let him share himself because he's going to come on the podcast. But I do want to talk about how important I think something like this is to young men who don't have an outlet for this sort of primal anxiety about things, you know? It gives you the opportunity to really spin your wheels and I'm going to share another little passage here with everybody from your book, which is called Sacred Hunting. I think everybody should have a copy. To be strong as a man is to give love even when I feel hurt. David Data, who wrote several books, but The Way of the Superior Man comes to mind. It's kind of his classic. David Data, the great teacher of masculinity, reminds me to heal my wounds and return to loving fully. The more I do, 
the more the feminine opens and the more the masculine receives her gifts, I've never loved or been nurtured and supported by the feminine as I am today through the earth. The reason I brought this up is that I think for a lot of young men and women who are listening, who are maybe going through this rite of passage of becoming parents, and I know you're not a parent, but perhaps you can just you know riff on this a little bit where we have this through the lens of masculinity, you get a very, very different perhaps essence than maybe what you've experienced in your trying to decipher through the lens of David Data, but also many of your other teachers, Bill Tegel, et cetera. What does the feminine, the masculine have to do with this? What are we talking about here? Because I talk about this quite a bit. Let's get to that. Yeah, let's talk about that. We'll go in whichever direction feels most alive. I'm just going to let you riff on this one. I think Mm -hmm. this is your wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I see the practice of hunting and the reason why I considered it to be a spiritual practice is because it is a reflection, a microcosm of the macrocosm. So it reflects to me all the ways in which I'm showing up in both my masculine and my feminine where there's opportunities for growth. It is a practice that requires the fullness and the wholeness of me and therefore reflects back to me the wholeness and fullness of my flaws and opportunities to grow. In the masculine, there's so many components involved with hunting. We talked about radical responsibility. You know, responsibility, taking responsibility is a really strong masculine pursuit. But in the practice of hunting, there is this incredibly, I actually believe this is true for all of life, but again, I'll come back to hunting because that's the medicine I know. There's this incredible attunement to the oscillation between masculine and feminine that occurs in nearly every moment. So on the hunt, yes, I have a mission. I am trying to find this animal and yet I'm also attuned what is happening in my environment. I'm receiving all this messages and I'm using my intuition, mm, I'm guided here. And then, okay, well, I'm also using my rational mind to understand these certain principles and things like that and organize. For me, this practice and all of life becomes this dance of how do I so finely attune to what is needed in this moment? And sometimes it is a masculine component and sometimes it is a feminine component. My work is to elevate both of them and to not kink the flow of either my masculine or my feminine, including my dark masculine, because we are engaged with hunting. We are engaged with, and I am leaning as a leader of this on a certain edge of a certain archetype of like a deep parts of myself that most of society would not welcome. Yeah. And so understanding where is the primal dark elements of the masculine maybe red in the spiral dynamics and then here's like the divine masculine needs to come now i need some feminine and it's a moment to moment attunement that's really the art of being with the masculine and the feminine and trusting at some level that the natural expression will come through so i don't feel anymore. There was once a time for sure where I felt, what does it mean to be masculine? And I have to show up as masculine. But there's no longer a feeling that I necessarily have to do that. It's more, I have faith that my masculine essence will come through and moment to moment, 
is an opportunity to understand what's needed. So that's kind of a meta relationship. I think we're getting there. I mean, I think that this is where this conversation probably needs to go on a larger, not on a larger scale, like not, we need it need to shout it from the mountains. I mean, we need to go one step further with our understanding of like toxic masculinity. One thing that, you know, always came up for me is that when we are, so the way I describe the divine masculine allegorically is the sides of a mountain. And then the feminine is the water just flowing through. I mean, you used the word tempest before. The storms over Black Rock City that I was describing at Burning Man, you look at an aerial view and you see these sort of bordering mountains, these ridges that create this container within which the feminine is just ripping and roaring through. And there's no containing that. There's no reason to contain it. There's no possibility of containing it. So the toxic masculinity... I think is a reflection of our efforts to try to contain what's not containable. And that comes off in this lack of flow in conversation and relationships. In our friend Paul's podcast, you had mentioned about this being a rite of passage for young men to maybe learn a little bit more, to go one extra step. I think a lot of us men, and you may end up finding yourself as, you know, somebody who has kids someday. You meet, you know, a woman, you're gonna now be a father. You've done quite a bit of preparatory work through the hunting and through your own inner exploration of what's true to you and what's meaningful so that when you get to that place, you already have a sense of your identity and your connection with this person and the connection of what it means to be a father. I think many of us, alternatively, don't have any of that. And you end up at a place where you're going to have a baby now. And I even had to vocalize it myself out loud. Things are going to change. A part of my identity is going to be given to this little child so that they can connect with me. On the other hand, most of us see on sitcoms and whatnot, dads are just like, they go to the bar to kind of numb out their feelings and they don't really have any connection to anything. And that doesn't mean you need to be spiritual or whatever else. You just need to be present with your kids once in a while. And I still struggle with that. You know, I came back from the hunt and I was like the best version of myself ever. And I think it was because of the proximity to the feminine, which is why I read that passage from your book. It seems to me, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that the lessons you've learned from being in the woods have helped you become a better man. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Just a couple softball questions yeah. here in the morning. <laughs> well, I'll first start with what drew me to nature in the first place, which was wounds and one of the things that I personally experienced was this deep yearning as a masculine person to be in connection with the feminine and like most boys, most mm. adolescents. And I projected that the feminine was only found in women. Right. And that illusion disconnected me from the fact that there's feminine available to me at all times, everywhere. First, that Shakti, yeah. 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 First, through nature. And that's really where I came to like open my heart to the earth was when my intimate relationship that I was in was faltering and I mm. felt alone and I mm. felt lonely. And there was almost a desperation to feel the wholeness of the feminine. And so going through you know, my early experiences with hunting and finding that love with nature, that gave me something that was stable. And for someone who, you know, in my past, I've had 
abandonment wounds and things like that to have conceptually an understanding that she will never leave. Oh, that is deep. That is really, really powerful. So there was this opposition of the masculine and feminine, and the feminine has left me feeling this way. And now you're desperately seeking to have the feminine, to hold it close so much so that you destroy it. You know, you don't really destroy it, but that you bring it, those polarities so close together that they start repelling one another versus realizing that the feminine, this incredible force, just equally as important as the masculine, but it's available to you everywhere all the time. That is a level of maturation that many men may never really go through. Yeah. And it's something that I continue to go through. That, oh, yeah. Like this said, is not figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that helped shape the understanding that I have feminine within me, that I can hold space with my masculine for my own feminine. Right. And that is part of my, and I imagine for many men and adolescents, part of the pathway to sovereignty into being a whole nurtured man to find, you know, whatever partners in which to make a life with. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I kind of want to dive into a little bit is that I think currently, and I know we have to be respectful of time, unfortunately, we might end up having to do a part two because I just love this conversation and I definitely want to eat with you. So we may just have to do Monsel part two, but One thing I definitely am thoughtful about is when you look at how many things are starting to fall apart in the world, yes, every single generation has their time of like, it's doomsday, the sky is falling. I don't know if that's like our generation's thing. I don't know. But there's plenty of 30-year-olds that are more worried about the world than in the 60s. You know, I mean, like there was people that were going to Woodstock and everything else, but we are highly educated now. We are highly advanced compared to the 60s. We have literally everything that we possibly could have ever imagined, except those jetpacks have still yet to arrive. I'm still waiting on that one. And so as we see the world, you know, we have mass shootings, we have more domestic violence. Like during COVID, we had depression and anxiety and suicide rates like that were incomparable over the past several decades. Little kids are growing up with developmental issues because of isolation and masking and all this other stuff. So we're seeing our society, despite all of the wealth and the progress, we're not feeling like something's right. Could the sacred hunt provide some opportunity for us to reconnect in some way with ourselves, with one another, as a means of maybe starting to right the ship, budge the needle a half a degree in a direction that we can all agree on? What say you about the role of hunting and perhaps actually serving as a remedy for some of the things we see in our society. Yeah, I clearly, in a biased way, think that it's the answer to all ills. (laughs) You need to go sacred hunting. (laughs) But genuinely, you know, one of my challenges when starting sacred hunting and when stepping into facilitation fully was this question about the impact that this work was having and the dichotomy between someone who could have a business that could reach millions of people versus someone like myself where I'm facilitating for eight people at a time with so much energy and intention and all these kinds of things. And what I came to realize was a couple things. One, the truest expression of who am I to judge with my mind and cognition, the truest expression of what is coming through me, because it's not me. It's something of greater consciousness that's being birthed through my physical form. But also the second thing was the depth of transformation that I could provide for people 
that would have a ripple effect that was unquantifiable. And that's the key is how do I step outside of this quantifiable number head thing and just step into like what happens when someone like you who is bringing in a new generation of people has this wisdom embedded in your body. Right. What happens? It's like you, you can't unsee the man behind the curtain in some ways. Yeah. I don't know what happens, but I have faith that that's part of this. Sure. This new earth that is being created. So yeah, for me, I think that it is some ways it's unrealistic in terms of just the amount of wild animals that are there and all these kinds of things for every single person to hunt and live the way that I do. But that's not the point. I live my life with a certain alignment and reverence and then facilitate that so that I can be a symbol and then a conduit for people's transformation so that when they go back to their lives has changed a little bit. There's the needle budging just ever slightly. Just so slightly. Yeah, yeah. And then that shows up with their wives. And then that shows up with the work that they do. It shows up with the kids that they're raising. It shows up with the food that they're eating. It's pervasive in that way. And when I look at all the forces that are working counter to me, I can feel a sense of sadness and grief that how am I going to face this? But I am one of many. And you're another, you're another speaking a certain wisdom that this generation needs. And collectively, hopefully, together we can shift the needle enough to, you know, move in a direction that is for the good of all. And it's the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible, as Charles Eisenhower said. I think I've heard that before. (laughs) That being said, I have no delusions about nature. And nature is both beautiful and abundant and so gifting to us. I mean, we literally, everything that we have is a gift. The sun provides the gift. The water is all a gift. All the food that comes from the ground, it's all a gift. And the nature is brutal. And sometimes fire that burns the whole forest down springs the freshest new foliage. And so I don't necessarily ascribe to this attachment to it needs to be painless for our generation to transition into a new era. And you don't subscribe to I that. I don't. Yeah. Well, any real initiation requires that death is on the line. Yeah. And death is, I'm mean, using a very embellished term. But, right. but actual literal death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. part of my medicine is I'm very close and comfortable with that. Yeah. And that's both sides of the polarity. Because there are many people who will watch on Instagram, nature is metal, and they'll say, oh, nature is a cold heart oh, bitch, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, it is, and it is this beautiful, abundant, it's both. Right. We have to see both. Some yeah. tangent there, but. No, no, it's amazing. I think what's really, really important, and what I think we should do is we'll just do a part two, because I've got so many more things I want to get into with you. But one thing that really comes to mind, you know, I'm talking a lot about birth, but I am also a hospice and palliative care doc. So I've sat with just as much death, if not more death than I have with birth. And these two things are the only two things that you can be sure of you're going to be a part of someday. There's no getting around it. I just spoke with a woman who's 37, had breast cancer when she was 34, and she had read all these books about death and dying. 
And she had learned that I was a palliative care doctor. And she was like, you know, I'm not really in the palliative care world. And I was like, listen, you are more of a palliative care, a palliativist, as we call you, than maybe even me, but virtually all parts of society, because you've actually been forced to look at mortality. You've been confronted. You've had to look at it. You can't run away from it. It will find you if you try to run. And I do think that the other benefit, you know, apart from just connecting with the feminine, I mean, there's so many things about hunting, by the way. It's an infinite fractal. Yeah, of... yeah. There's like literally, there's so many directions you could take it. Which is why it's hard. Some of these questions you're asking me, I'm like, uh... can we just talk about tool again? <laughs> <laughs> that book Ishmael by Daniel Quinn has become a favorite of mine. And I'm hoping we can reconnect after you reread it. But it's like, you know, 150, 200 pages. It's like a day or two of reading because it's just such a page turner. And I used to think when I read it, it's sort of like going on the hunt. After that, it just has this pervasive thing in every aspect of how I show up in the world. And I have to constantly be reminded of it, but it's not hard. It like snaps you back in. And at one point, I thought it was such an important book. I was like a big fan of Banksy and his street graffiti. And I was like, I'm going to create a stencil that's going to say, read Ishmael. And I'm just going to put it all over town. Now I'm thinking maybe I should make a stencil that says, go hunting. <laughs> and just like guerrilla graffiti style, just pasting this all around around the town because it's not even just a matter of becoming comfortable with assuming the truly divine masculine, if you're the father, or the truly divine feminine, and letting your lioness come out and roar through childbirth. It's not just that rite of passage. It also connects you to your food. It also connects you to the land to disconnect you from technology, to go into ceremony, which doesn't even require medicine. Ceremony is walking and stalking and looking and smelling and listening and feeling the breeze. I mean, you do that so well and you model it so well. And it incorporates the rite of passage around death. If you can't kill an animal, that's probably a reflection of your own fear of mortality. But this animal offered herself to me. She stood there and let me take three shots, and I missed all three. And she said, oh, you're not ready, and walked off. And what was the thing I told you? I was like, I will come back. I will take a thousand practice shots with a rifle that I own out of respect for her, her, the big her, and that deer who is the embodiment of all of that Shakti energy, the entire divinity that is femininity was right there in front of me. So offering herself up, there's not a fear of death. It doesn't make me less afraid of someday having to be like, oh my God, if I close my eyes, I might not wake up. That's not the point. The point is becoming very realistic about what all of this means. It's not just work your ass off and then die someday. Like You can start connecting right now and it will make everything else so much richer. Yeah, for me, this whole practice is, it's about meaning, it's about intention, and it's about fulfillment. Because those are the things that, at the end of my life, I genuinely care about. Yes, yes, yeah. I don't necessarily care about things or these type of experiences that are easy to forget. They're just fun in the moment and, you know, easy to forget. I care about people and, and, and meaning. And there's so many ways in which that can show up. And of course, as one grows, the ways that it shows up changes. You know, like I find so much meaning in being a, a parent to my cats. I find so much meaning now in being an uncle to all of my friends who are having children and recognizing that I can be the father. I can be in the full archetype of the father for someone else's children. Maybe even a greater gift. It's not my yeah, DNA. You may never even be a parent, yeah. but you're a parent in some way to all of these people that you're touching. Even somebody who's older than you who went on the hunt, like there's a bit of a father figure in you, the Rishi. <laughs> 
And you talk about so many of the beautiful aspects of hunting that I think people can, maybe they still feel a little uneasy, you know, everyone's on a different part of their journey. And there will be experiences because I've hunted long enough where I have to integrate parts of myself and parts that I think most people would feel uncomfortable integrating. Here's an animal that I wounded and I have to go put a knife in it. And that animal is not offering itself to me. That animal is struggling. And I'm imposing my violence to control and consume it. And I have to integrate, this is a part of me. There's a higher purpose for it in this moment so it doesn't suffer and things like that. And how do I attune to when this part of me is necessary to bring? And there's many, many, many parts of that, you know? There's many people who, men especially, who if someone broke into their house, they might not be ready or they might not be quick enough to realize I have to integrate this part of myself in order to protect my family. Amen, yeah. And there's plenty of people who are so unintegrated in the other direction that they're just looking for a reason, right? So like, how do I protect my family, integrate that self and love them completely, fully understanding that what brought them through that door is pain and trauma? Yeah. That's where, you know, even our friend Paul, and we'll wrap up here because I know we got to eat, got to get to the airport, but black bear, a black bear meal. Gosh, that's great. Never had black bear. That's a real honor. Thank you. Thank you. Paul says, you know, I just did a Tarot workshop with him and he did this like four hour just expose of Paul Cech's whole life, you know, like his whole teaching and body of work. And he said, you know, during these times when we're like, you know, down with Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, he's like, yeah, like, yeah, we can get all of our guns together and we can go out hunting these bad guys in the world. He said, but it takes a way bigger set of balls to see that that is in you that Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever you think is the worst person, you know, Tony Fauci, whatever, that that is actually a part of you as well. Because we are all a part of a collective. And all of the archetypes of the Tarot represent the different figures that make your life meaningful. Even though you freaking hate that person, that's the language you use. You can't because they're also a part of you. It's that reflection on them that maybe makes you feel so good about yourself. But there's this different archetypes come out in how we sort of show up in the world and attuning those so that you can turn those things on and off. What was the one book? King, warrior, magician, lover, lover. That's all a part of you. All of those things are a part of you. It's just at different stages of your life, you're going to need to call on these different archetypes. So Mansell, I appreciate your time, man. Let's grab some grub and we'll do a part two. Maybe next time I'm out on the hunt with you. Yeah, maybe next time you're, when you join a hunt or maybe when I come out to Kentucky, because I've been looking for a reason to get to Appalachia. Hell yeah, we can go hiking. We go rucking in the out in Red River Gorge. Tell people real quickly, how can they find you? I've already said enough about your book, but more importantly, they're going to want to know how to hunt. Where can they learn more? Yeah, sure. They can just visit sacredhunting.com. That's where all the information is. And I've been on you know numerous other podcasts. So you know our mutual friend Paul Check had me on recently. and, and Different so conversations every yeah, time. Every time. There's quite a bit of your story that we didn't tell today. And if people want to find that, Daniel Vitalis had you, Ben Greenfield, Paul's had you, Kyle, I think, had you, right? 
Yeah. So, right. yeah. And I appreciate that because I don't <laughs> love regurgitating the same story. Yeah. Yeah. A, I have a lot of complexity and depth. And so I appreciate you for asking good questions. But yeah, you can visit sacredhunting.com. And of course, my Instagram. I I like to riff on things that are alive for me now. So at Monsal, M-A-N-S-A-L-D-E-N-T-O-N. Right on. And we'll put something on my website at some point as well for people who find me to facilitate them in that direction. I think that especially for men who are going to become parents, I think that's like a special hunt we could facilitate someday. Oh, that would be so amazing. I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. One of my favorite things is to just have, is to, I mean, I love feeding people, you know, but the meat that I kill having that death be part of the process of creating new life, human life is just... God, yeah. I mean, that's a topic we didn't even really get into, but we'll put a pin in it. Thank you so much, my friend. I love you. Absolutely. Love you too, bro. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't checked out my website, go to BelovedHolistics.com. Nothing on this show is medical advice, but you certainly can get some help, whether you're a person looking for a birth worker or a holistic gynecologist, or if you're a midwife or other type of birth worker or healthcare professional that wants to have me in your corner. You can find all of that there. You can also find information about my new PRP fertility program. That's all available at BelovedHolistics.com. If anything in this show touched you in some way, if you went back and re-listened to something, share this episode. Give the gift of the Holistic Abajuan podcast to the people in your life, to your clients, to your family, your friends, your colleagues. Let's get these messages out there. This conversation, like every conversation, I only do it because I think it's important for the community. You can also go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Give me a five-star review. Believe it or not, it really matters. And then lastly, support our sponsors. The sponsors make it possible to put out this high-quality content. And as I'm increasing my audio and my video and my different platforms and rebranding and rebuilding, that costs money. My sponsors enable that to happen. I also have an online shop with not only the sponsors discount codes listed, but a wide variety of other products that are going to make you and your family as healthy and vital as possible. Again, I'm Nathan Riley. Thank you so much for listening in to the Holistic Obedient Podcast. We'll see you next week.